You are Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily fantasy baseball podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, fantasy friends. I'm Scott Cullen, host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You get $10 off your next order. Today's episode, congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're World Series champions for the first time since 1988. We'll look back at that World Series, and I have a few rants. But first, let's look at the facts. The Rays took a 1-0 lead in the top of the first inning of Game 6 on a home run by Babe Ruth at Randy Arozarena, who wrapped up an incredible postseason. In 20 games, Arozarena crushed 10 home runs, hit 377 with a 1273 OPS. The unfortunate part of all this is that his major league career almost certainly has to go downhill from here. But it should be interesting to see whether or not Arozarena becomes a legitimate star slugger or if this was just a case of riding a two-month hot streak from the second half of the regular season through the playoffs. So that one nothing lead held until the bottom of the sixth inning. Rays starting pitcher Blake Snell was rising to the occasion in this do-or-die game for Tampa Bay. Through five innings, Snell had allowed one hit and struck out nine. It was a dominant performance. So he took that one nothing lead into the bottom of the sixth and got A.J. Pollock to fly out to open the inning. Dodgers catcher Austin Barnes then singled, and that was it. Snell was removed from the game before facing the Dodgers lineup for a third time. Mookie Betts promptly delivered a double off reliever Nick Anderson, and the Dodgers were in business. A wild pitch from Anderson let Barnes score, and Betts moved to third. Corey Seager grounded to first base, and the throw home, not in time to catch Betts, who was moving on contact. So just like that, the Rays were now down 2-1. That score held until the bottom of the eighth inning, when Betts mashed a solo shot to give the Dodgers some insurance. Mookie was the highest-profile addition for any team last offseason. Somehow, the Dodgers caught the Boston Red Sox pinching pennies, and Betts was as good as advertised. He hit 296 with an 871 OPS in the playoffs. He also stole six bases and played great defense. The Dodgers now have a franchise cornerstone piece for years to come. The Rays could not mount much of anything against Dodgers reliever Julio Urias, who went two and a third perfect innings with four strikeouts to finish the game. Urias, a starter during the regular season, was infinitely valuable out of the bullpen in the playoffs. In six postseason appearances, totaling 23 innings, Urias had a 1.17 ERA and 0.65 whip with 29 strikeouts. The Dodgers don't win the World Series without his contributions. And all that said, Dodgers shortstop Corey Seager was named World Series MVP, this following up uh, being named MVP of the National League Championship Series. Seeger had a great regular season. He hit 307 with a 943 OPS, but he stepped up even more in the playoffs. In the World Series, he hit 400 with a 1256 OPS and a couple of home runs. Overall, in 18 playoff games, Seeger had 8 home runs, 20 RBIs, hit 328, and had 1171 OPS. And really, that was the difference for the Dodgers. They had more difference makers, especially at the plate, and Seeger was the best of them. Now, coming up next, have a couple of rants, starting with analytics, but there's more than that. 
Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have a bunch of great flavors. My favorites, peanut butter chocolate and salted caramel. But they're all low-fat, low-carb, high-protein, all in a convenient bar. I've been trying to shed quarantine pounds at a boot camp for the past couple of months, and I'm having a little bit of success. But I leaned right into it with Built Bar as part of my post-workout routine. It gives my muscles the protein boost they need. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your next order. That's B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON to save $10 off your next order. Enjoy the best protein bar on the planet. So as we head towards the offseason... Fire off some questions. I'm at by Scott Cullen on Twitter. The show is at LO underscore fantasy MLB on Twitter. If you want to send an email, direct it to lockedonfantasybaseball at gmail.com. Okay, under normal circumstances, I might have dug in for more stats research, but game six brought a lot out of the ether when the Rays pulled starting pitcher Blake Snell with one out in the sixth of a game in which he was dealing. I mean dealing. First, some background. Snell last went six innings in a start July 21st, 2019. May 24th that season was the last time he went more than six innings. He was mowing the Dodgers down in game six, so he didn't necessarily have to be pulled the moment a runner reached base, but it was in the neighborhood of when the Rays were likely to pull him. Taking Snell out when he had allowed two hits, no runs, and struck out nine is one thing. It's another thing entirely in order to do it to bring in Nick Anderson, who has struggled. And this is where my rant comes in. In the aftermath of Snell getting pulled, the popular online take was that analytics was ruining baseball. And there might be some truth to that, honestly, in that the three true outcome sport isn't as entertaining as having stolen bases and hit and run opportunities, etc. But the notion that analytics is ruining baseball because teams are so reliant on numbers, come on. So what is it? Is analytics ruining baseball because they forced the Rays to pull Snell when he was dealing? Or did they use any analytics whatsoever to decide that Anderson was the one who had to come in to face Mookie Betts? As former pitcher Brandon McCarthy noted on Twitter, Betts had strangely been struggling against left-handed pitching. And that includes striking out the first two times he faced Snell in Game 6. So why are they bringing in a right-hander? But, okay, fine. Rays manager Kevin Cash is going by the analytics binder and is committed to removing Snell before he can go through the Dodgers lineup for a third time. I get it. The Rays are in the World Series on a budget that is a fraction of their opponents, so maybe they know a thing or two about maximizing their potential return. And obviously, I don't mind teams that use analytics. If you follow my Twitter account or any of my writing, it should be clear that I'm pro-analytics. Baseball teams have armies of analysts helping them to make smart decisions. Now, I don't love games when a team makes seven pitching changes, but the idea that teams don't want their starters facing a lineup for the third time is statistically supported position. So when I where I run into the problem is that the Rays, if they're mindlessly following a spreadsheet to make their baseball decisions, what kind of magical spreadsheet decided that Anderson was the best one to come in from the bullpen to follow Snell? And this is the part that really bothers me because every critic on Twitter, or even Joe Buck on the Fox broadcast, was sure that the decision to take out Snell was wrong and that the numbers are ruining the sport. And no one seemed to be wondering what kind of numbers supported the notion that Anderson had to be the one the Rays chose to come out of the bullpen at that point. What analytics insisted that Nick Anderson would be the one to keep the Rays in the lead? 
He had a 6.52 ERA, 1.76 whip, while allowing runs in each of his previous six appearances. That's the guy? While we're at it, the Dodgers have a massive analytics department. Do they get credit for the victory, or is analytics only to get blamed for the loss in the World Series? It's not like the Dodgers were riding Kershaw and Bueller late into their games. Kershaw went eight innings against the Brewers in the wildcard round, but he struck out 13 and threw a total of 93 pitches in that game. Otherwise, Bueller and Kershaw didn't go more than six innings in any of their postseason starts. Always, blame the numbers or those that use them. That act is tired, and as you might be able to tell, I'm tired of it. So one more point of contention, uh, and that is related to the handling of the COVID test for Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner, who ended up getting pulled from Game 6 after it was revealed he had a positive test. What kind of process was in place that players didn't need negative tests to be cleared before taking the field? It should be apparent to anyone with a brain by now that shortcuts don't work against COVID at all. The numbers spike because you just had to see the family for this one event, or had to go to spin class, or pick the super spreader event of your choice. But it's nuts that Major League Baseball would allow a player to take the field in the World Series without a negative test. Consider Major League Baseball lucky that they didn't have to, that the Rays didn't come back and have to play a game seven uh, with the Dodgers quarantining half their team. I mean, then you'd really be looking at a mess. At least as bad is that not only did Turner play in the game, but he returned to the field after the game to celebrate. Okay, he did start with a mask. That's not great, but it's something. that he Then he decided he'd ditch the mask. He's on the field with manager Dave Roberts, who has survived a battle with lymphoma, and part owner Magic Johnson, who quite famously has HIV. Both Roberts and Johnson have survived their diseases and have lived a long time, but surely they must have compromised immune systems as a result. I mean, Magic Johnson was not wearing a mask uh, for the celebration, which seems an awfully risky proposition, certainly once uh, word of Turner's uh, positive test was out. So running the risk of catching the coronavirus under those circumstances is insane. Like, if someone connected to the Dodgers comes away with a case of COVID after this and they don't survive it, it will be a black cloud that hangs over this season and this championship permanently. Maybe nothing will happen and everything will be fine. I hope so, but hoping for good results hasn't worked out very well in 2020. Nevertheless, congratulations to the Dodgers on their championship. It's been a long time coming, and the franchise has been committed to this goal for so long, paying huge money so that they had a team that could compete for the title year in and year out. The victory should put to rest Clayton Kershaw's playoff ghosts and starts what could be a special run in Los Angeles for Mookie Betts. And the Dodgers will probably be right in the mix again next year. The Rays? They're a team that usually outperforms my expectations, and especially so this year. So I could sit here today and say the discount shopping Rays aren't likely to get back to the World Series next year. But I'll wait on that, because they went a whole lot further than I thought they would in 2020. And there's no need to dwell on them coming just a couple of games short of the title. And that'll do it for today. I'll be back Thursday, and I'll continue digging into more stats for offseason prep. Maybe we'll look at some odds for the 2021 World Series. Find this podcast, subscribe, and rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On Baseball. Stay safe, enjoy the off-season, I guess, and stay locked in with Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily source for fantasy news and analysis.